Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. And I, I, I've really, I, I don't know about you, but I have really enjoyed just sharing this series with you on the roadmap to Reformation from Ezra and Nehemiah, from Haggai and Zechariah. And we're going to continue again today. We've been showing that the restoration of the 12 gates of Nehemiah literally have some real spiritual meaning. They are literally a roadmap. I believe that helps us come back into a new covenant reformation. We've dealt with uh, the valley gate and we dealt with the dragon well, and we have begun to deal with the dung gate. And I want to just draw the scripture here from Nehemiah 2 and not take a long time to review much, but says, this is Nehemiah 2 verse 13, I went out by night by the gate of the valley even before, well, let me go back up one verse. And, and I rose in the night, this is verse 12, and I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates that were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Now, what I showed you is that these, he's moving counterclockwise. He's going to turn the corner here in a moment. Uh, when he turns the corner, uh, the dung gate was right at the corner. If you could see it, and they, if you go on the internet, there's all kinds of pictures of the ancient city of Jerusalem during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. But at, after, after he passes the dung gate, they're going to turn a corner. I really believe that even this series I'm teaching is going to have a real impact on helping us to turn the corner. You know, I feel it a great responsibility that our audience is so large, even with television, but I believe that God is, is, is helping me and others to continue bringing about a reformation and a restoration. I am not crying the sky is falling. I believe God is restoring His church, and He's returning it from the condition of being broken down, gates burned with fire, to a restoration. I've already shared with you that the city and the tabernacle of God is not a place, it's a people, and it's the time of Reformation. Ezra, I mean, I'm sorry, Nehemiah comes into the city, and he sees the condition, and the very first thing he does is he comes to the valley gate. That's the place of broken pottery, the vessels that God told Jeremiah by that field, because one day you're and he told him to buy that field right before the Babylonians carried him away captive. He said, but you're going to come back into this land, and I'm going to take those vessels, and I'm going to make them over again. So what we need to understand is God's able to take broken vessels and make them over again. There's probably four segments just on the valley gates in the valley of Hinnom, a lot of good stuff there. And then he comes on by to the... To, uh, the dragon well, and we showed you that it was the place where the head of a dragon was cut off. Legend has it, and it's a picture of Jesus defeating principalities and powers, and those principalities and powers, when He disarmed them in Colossians, was the weapon of the law. And when He disarmed principalities and powers, it was the weapon 
that was formed against us that he took from the enemy. He disarmed principalities and powers. He calls it the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. Touch not, taste not, handle not. He takes that weapon from the enemy. Can you see the power of restoration and reformation? Then he comes on to the dung gate. The dung gate, as I began to share with you last week, was the place where all the excrement or the dung was taken. It was carried out. And then I connected that thought with Zechariah, the third chapter, where Joshua, who was the high priest during the time of Zechariah, had on a filthy garment. And that filthy garment, the word for filthy garment there, is the Greek word, or the Hebrew word, aox, or it, 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 that's how it, I, I don't know even how you, you pronounce it, but it literally means excrement. And so he was saying that he had to change the filthy garment. He had to get rid of all the dung. And I, I hope it's not offensive to you, but what, what that began to show me is this. There's a ministry of priesthood that in order to bring about reformation, we're going to have to get rid of all the crap. You know, I really think that God is really calling leaders back to being, you know, uh, being examples of the flock of God. In other words, I think there are so many, I don't know, distractions, sometimes even scams in the body of Christ that, that it, it, it just, I, it frustrates me to see some of the stuff that goes on in ministry. But even to the point even of manipulation through legalism and law, to try to use the law to manipulate people is once again, I believe, I believe it is part of that that must be taken to the dung gate. And you say, why do you say that? Because Philippians chapter 3, when the apostle Paul said, I'm going to give you my credentials. He said, I, I was born in uh, the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and as touching the law, listen, he said, I was blameless. As touching the law, I was blameless. And then he says, but I count all of that as dung, that I, that's Philippians 3.8, I count all of that as dung that I might win Christ. So what he's calling dung here is all of his credentials based on his self-righteous his garment, if you will, that's filthy rags instead of a garment that's white, that's the righteousness of the saints that is given because Zechariah said that in the midst of that time when they would change the filthy garment of the high priest Joshua, that there would be one who would come whose name was called the branch who would remove the iniquity. I believe what God is doing in this hour of reformation and in this series is teaching us how to get rid of the religious crap the skabola it's called. The Greek word is skabolon. And, it, and he's to Paul, Paul calls dung. You know, one of the things, you know, uh, you know, that you could use dung for fertilizer, maybe that helped him because he was able to be able to see what he came from. It was also used sometimes at the dung gate. They took horse manure out there and used it for fuel. Maybe it's good to burn. <laughs> but the reality of it is, is that I believe that the filthiness that he's removing is, and the dung that he's removing from the garment of the high priest and from ministry is this mentality of law and legalism. And there is a return to the king's fountain. When he makes the turn, when he makes the corner here and begins to go up towards, uh, I believe it is the north, 
that this dung gate was out of corner. I believe we're going to turn the corner when we stop preaching a performance-based religious system based on the law and legalism and the handwriting of ordinance that's against us. That's where he defeated the dragon and took the weapon that was uh, of condemnation from the enemy and takes that and, and removes it. I think that's going to be a powerful change. Now, let me just also get you this, because Deuteronomy, I want to go over to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, uh, and I want to read from uh, verse number, I believe it is 23, Deuteronomy 23, I think that's what I said. Let me go back here and look at the, uh, my note. Deuteronomy, because uh, I, I think it's important to read this. Deuteronomy 23, 13. 23, Deuteronomy 23, 13. Uh, this is, this, I think this is a powerful point here as well. Deuteronomy 23 and verse number 13. These, the, the children of Israel are coming outside. I'm going to go to verse 11. It says, but it, it shall be when even cometh, no, let me back up. I need to back up a few more verses. Verse 10. If there be any among you, any man that is not clean by reason of uncleanness, that chances him by night, then he shall go abroad out of the camp. He shall not come within the camp. But it shall be when, he, when evening cometh on, he shall wash himself with water, and when the sun is going down, he shall come in unto the camp again. Thou shalt have a place also without the camp, whither thou shalt go forth abroad, and thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon. And it shall be when thou wilt ease thyself abroad, thou shalt dig with therewith, and shalt turn back and cover that which cometh from thee. For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of the, thy camp to deliver thee, and to give up thine enemies before thee. Therefore shall thy camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in thee, and turn away from thee. Now, see, I want you to see something. Here's some specific information that God is speaking to the children of Israel. They have left Egypt headed to the promised land, and you've got three to six million people on a camping trip. No wonder it took 40 years. They're probably saying, where's the bathroom? Where's the rest area? Answer, where isn't it? See, we don't even think about some of this stuff that the logistical nightmare that must have been there as they were traveling through the wilderness, that there had to be a place where they would have to go to the bathroom. And so he would say to them, listen, it shall come to pass. I love King James language. It shall come to pass that when thou shalt ease thyself abroad, that you go outside the camp, dig a hole, and cover that which cometh of thee. And he goes on to say, Thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon. As standard equipment, every Hebrew was issued this thing that looked like a literally a, uh, a tent stake. It was a nail. The Hebrew word is a nail. I think it's interesting that the word, this same, this same Greek word for uh, paddle upon thy weapon, the, 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 it was like a, if you will, a, something to dig with. It was a nail. It was a paddle. It was a pen or a stake. That's what King James translates this word at. But in Judges chapter 4, verse 21 through 24, 22, it says, Then J.L. Heber, Heber's wife took a nail of the tent. It was a tent peg and took a an hammer in her hand, and went softly unto him, and smote the nail into his temples. 
and fastened it under the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him, and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temple. She used this same nail. So the word for thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon was every Hebrew had one of these. They carried it as standard, standard equipment, and it was used to go outside the camp, dig a hole, and cover that which cometh of thee. So that when you got to go, you got to go. But here God knew He had to give them instruction, because if He didn't, there was going to be a whole lot of stink in the camp. Here's some good information for you. If you feel like you're going to stir up a stink, go outside the camp and dig a hole, and bury that which cometh of thee. But what I think is interesting is as I have tied this in, especially with this whole idea of reformation, and Paul calls his performance under Judaism dung, is that sometimes what we have to do is we have to take this nail, this tent peg. Sisera, I believe, speaks of our carnal mind. And we have to take this nail and put it on the ideas and concepts and principalities and mindsets and ideas that lift themselves against the knowledge of God and put the nail of the finished work of Jesus Christ on that to get us delivered from stinking thinking. And like Zacharias said, put a fair miter upon the head of the high priest. In other words, change your thinking, get rid of all the stinking thinking that's between our ears, and a lot of it has to do with religion and legalism. I, I believe we're in one of the greatest reformations we've ever seen before, and, and to some it may look like, you know, it, it may not look like you thought it would. Let me put it that way. But here's God telling them, when you go outside the camp, He said, so that when you come, when, when you do that, go outside the camp, dig a hole, cover that which cometh of thee, so that uh, when God comes to move, that He finds no uncleanness among you, that He hands you over to your enemies. In other words, your enemy can only have a weapon. If you followed my thinking on this roadmap to Reformation, the enemy can only have a weapon when you put the weapon of condemnation and the law back in his hands. Remember, I told you that the weapon the enemy used in Colossians 2, he was disarmed, but it was the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. But God said, when you get that outside the camp, dig a hole and cover that which cometh of thee, then what's going to happen is, is that the enemies won't be able to overtake you. I'm telling you, man, you're going to live a life of victory. If I you know, honestly, if I didn't preach a minute of this stuff, i got to tell you that the peace and the joy and the confidence and faith I have in my relationship with God as a result of understanding these concepts has been revolutionary to me. I, I don't fight the battles that a lot of people fight with. I got the victory. I don't have the victory. I'm saved. I'm not saved. He loves me. He loves me not. I'm telling you, I've settled that in my mind. I've put a nail on that dude, and I have nailed that stinking thing into the floor, and God has given us the victory. Now let me just tell you this as well, because I think this is very, very important. Once again, this same Greek word, or Hebrew word, is translated as a nail, or a paddle, or a pin. And then they went outside the camp, and they dug a hole, and covered that which cometh of them. Now I want you to see this. This is in Hebrews, the 13th chapter. 
verse number 11 through 13. It said, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. This is very interesting. If you take the map of ancient Israel laid over the city of Israel during the time, our city of Jerusalem, the time of Jesus' crucifixion, he suffered outside the gate. The gate he suffered outside of was the dung gate. I think that's incredible. He suffered outside the dung gate, and what they did was they took Jesus and nailed him to the cross with a nail. Now remember, this word paddle is the Hebrew word for nail. It was the nail that was put in the temple of Caesarea. So when you say, what are you saying, Brother House? What I'm trying to tell you is Jesus became sin, and he suffered outside the camp, and he took a nail and took all of our handwriting of ordinance that was against us. He took our old man. He took the byproducts of our flesh. He took all of our crap outside the city and took it on himself and then nailed it to the cross and then dug a hole and buried that which cometh of thee. I think that's incredible stuff. And he did it outside of the dung gate and suffered outside the camp so that we should go forth outside the camp, therefore with him, bearing his reproach. In other words, identify with what he did. Hebrews is talking about bearing his reproach. In other words, walking away, bearing reproach to them in Hebrews was that these Hebrews were moving away from Old Covenant Judaism and into the New Covenant because the whole book of Hebrews is about better blood, better promises, a better tabernacle, a better city, a better faith, uh, a better priesthood, a, a better offerings, uh, a, a better promised land. Everything about it is better, and he's talking about moving away from the Old Covenant. And the persecution upon them to go back to Judaism was so full they were suffering the spoiling of their goods, and Paul encourages them in Hebrews to lift up the hands that hang down and to strengthen the feeble knees, the people that were getting discouraged with trying to move out of this old covenant and into the new covenant in the first century had to be incredible pressure because everything that they had held dear and their form of worship for hundreds of years was now being changed from animal sacrifice to better blood. From an old temple to a spiritual house. In Hebrews 11, Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God, but in Hebrews 12, we've come to that city. There's a better faith, there's better promises, there's a better priesthood, and that transition brought a reproach on him. So what he's saying to them, let's go forth outside the camp, let's identify with his death, burial, and resurrection, because Jesus did not just die for me, he died as me. He took my sin, he took my iniquity. See, I'm not just talking about law, I'm talking about even my old man, and he took it outside the camp and he nailed it to a cross and buried it so that I can go outside the camp and identify with that and then wash myself with waters. Deuteronomy said, 
wash myself with the washing of the water by the word. In other words, I continue to wash myself by the washing of the water by the word because I see what his death, burial, and resurrection did. That's what I keep speaking to myself, and it keeps on cleansing me where when God walks among us, he finds no uncleanness. I believe a revelation of this will change your life. Make no mistake about it. Being free from law doesn't mean I'm lawless. Matter of fact, Paul tells you that when the law comes, sin revives and I died. It's not the law that gets people free from sin. It's grace. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Grace does not cause people to sin. It is the antidote for it. True grace, that is, does not cause people to sin. It causes them to move away from it. Law is what gives death a sting. It's what gives sin power, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul said, I was alive once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. If you want to revive a little sin, start preaching the law. If you want to get rid of sin, preach grace. Go outside the camp, bear the reproach. Listen, I've bared reproach for 40, maybe not 41 years because I wasn't always a grace preacher, but I can tell you when I started preaching grace, people started talking scandalous about you. They will make, I mean, you know, it's amazing to me, but if you don't have rough skin, you shouldn't be in the ministry anyway. But we started to lead a reformation and pioneer some things that have absolutely begun to sweep the nations of the earth, not just me, but others that God's raising up that have probably got more, much more significant voice than I do. I think there's some great voices even on the airways right now declaring the gospel of grace, and people are going outside the camp and identifying with what Jesus did to get rid of all the stinking thinking, get rid of all the crap in our lives, the religious crap and the byproducts of our flesh. I don't think it's an accident that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, that they the very first stop was the wilderness of sin. See what happens when you see Egypt again is a type of law and legalism. You say, how do you know that? Because Revelation, the 11th chapter says, I believe verse 9, it says, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom and Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem, but it's spiritually the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So the Holy Spirit says what you think is Egypt is not a land in the Middle East. Egypt is law and legalism. It's Old Covenant Judaism in Jerusalem. And he says that, you know, the whole New Testament is really an exodus. It is an exodus out of an Old Covenant of bondage where you're a slave into an understanding that you're a son. But when they left Egypt, delivered by the blood of a spotless lamb, remember that, blood on the doorpost, a lamb inside the house, first stop was the wilderness of sin. Here's what happens when people, first of all, hear the message of freedom. They don't know what to do with freedom, so they stop at the wilderness of sin. At the wilderness of sin, the water became bitter. Because when you start to test the waters, if you think that you're free from law so you can be lawless, you're missing the point of what the gospel is about. But I tell you what will happen in the climate of freedom, what's in your heart will surface. Hebrews 4 says that the Word of God will, is a discerner. The Word that flows from rest is the discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. It will discern what's in your heart. When you get in freedom, what's in your heart is really going to surface. Except what happens is, is God doesn't leave them there. He doesn't leave you when you sin. Your wife might, your kids might, you might destroy your health, end up in jail, but God won't leave you. But what happens is, is that the water becomes bitter. What I found by studying this, that there was something in the water that caused the people to have severe diarrhea. 
You say, well, what, what, what does that mean, Brother Hoss? Well, I, I, and I started thinking, there's two things, two elements of the water that I, I found, uh, I read a scholar that said it caused him severe diarrhea, and it also was something in the water that would keep your legs from crapping if you were going to go on a long journey. I said, Lord, what were you doing at the wilderness of sin where the water got bitter? He said, I was cleaning them out of all the Egyptian diet, of the leeks, garlics, and watermelons. I believe we're in a day when God is cleaning us out of all of the Egyptian diet of bondage. I think He's cleaning us out of all of our uh, bondage years, no matter what you're in bondage to. Maybe it's not just religion, but this is really what this is pointing to in Reformation is a removal from the bondage of religion, but also the moment you start to remove the bondage of religion, people start to get free from the bondage of sin. Because what you don't realize is that this religious stuff keeps you forever bound to your sin, to your iniquity, and to condemnation and guilt, which becomes a repetitive thing that keeps you coming back. But when they came to the wilderness of sin and the waters became bitter, they got severe diarrhea because God was cleaning them out of their Egyptian diet. But He was also something in that water that would keep their legs from cramping because He knows they're going to have to walk through the desert. So He's going to keep them from dehydrating and walking through with cramps. But Moses cried out to the Lord because of the reason of the water being bitter. Because when when you go back and you drink from the waters of sin, the water will become bitter. Not because God's doing it to you, but because it's the results of your own action. When your heart is revealed, it's not just so you can act on it. It's so you can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help and a faithful high priest. It doesn't bring you to the throne of judgment. It brings you to the throne of grace where it begins to bring change in your life. But when Moses cried out to God by reason of this bitter water, the Lord showed him a tree. When I first started preaching grace and people started to touch the waters of freedom, I thought, oh Lord, this is really causing a mess and a stink in the church. Am I preaching the wrong message? And the Lord said, no, you keep preaching. I'm cleaning the junk out of them. Outside the camp, I'm cleaning out all the crap. He said, but what I want you to do is I'm going to show you the tree. I want you to put the tree back in the water. I said, Lord, what are you saying? He said, preach the cross. I said, what do you mean? He said, I want you to preach that they were crucified with me. Not a continual dying, but the fact that that cross was my method of getting rid of who they were in Adam, and my method of getting rid of all the byproducts of their flesh. And if we can go forth outside the camp and identify with that, say his death was my death, then how can we, who are dead to sin, live any longer in it? When he comes to this this, this uh this uh, dragon, uh, when he comes to this dung port, and he comes then on about, and we'll get into the fountain gate the next next uh, segment, the next time we film, and uh, there was no place for the beast that was under him to pass. His stubborn, rebellious animal that he rode in there, there was no place for the beast that was under him to pass. Let me tell you something, when we start identifying with the work of Calvary and the work of Jesus, it's going to get rid of the crap in our lives. It's going to get rid of the religious crap, it's going to get rid of the iniquity crap, it's going to get rid of the sin crap, it's going to get rid of a lot of scabola, if you will, if we'll identify outside the camp. Put the nail on the temple of Sisera, that old carnal thinking, and get rid of it. Because when he turns the corner, comes to the fountain gate, there was no place for the beast that was under him to pass. There's no room for the old nature and your stubborn, rebellious sin nature to survive. Come on to the fountain gate, make the corner, 
make the turn. If you've enjoyed this today, you'd like to sow into the ministry, go on the website, easy to give their credit card, uh, MasterCard, Visa, whatever. You can also call the number on the screen or send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. We do need your help and your partnership to take the gospel around the world. I trust you've enjoyed this. Go forth outside the camp. He bore your iniquity. Go ahead and identify with it. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.